afterwards. But um, tonight we're con- we are continuing and finishing a series we've called Patterns, right? Um, the board isn't up there because we are starting a new series next week called Easter Through the Eyes Of. We're going to be looking at Easter through different people's eyes. Brad is starting us off, and that's only in the 6 p.m. Brad's starting us off with Easter Through the Eyes of Mary next week. So we're excited about that. Tonight we're finishing off the pattern series. And just to explain that to you a little bit, um, there are these things called spiritual disciplines. Uh, disciplines that God has given us, tools that God has given us, so that we can grow in intimacy with Him, grow in spiritual maturity, and essentially become Christ-like more effectively. And so we've been looking at a, at a series where we deal with these disciplines, and we've called it patterns because we really believe that these need to be put in place in your life and habitually practiced as a regular pattern in your life. So we really felt like that was on God's heart for us. And we're going to finish that off this evening with looking at the pattern or the discipline of meditation, right? I'm really excited about this one because I really feel like God wants to impart and inspire us to love and to hunger and thirst for his word again, right? In a world where we're so busy with so much stuff, I think often we can neglect the reading and the meditating on God's word because we supplement that with podcasts and vlogs and YouTube videos and sermons and all that sort of stuff preached by other people. And very seldom do we take the time to actually sit and read and ponder on and meditate on God's word. But I wanted to start tonight by just answering essentially two questions, right? Questions that um, I found most Christians have when speaking to them about this idea of meditation, right? And they have these questions because we live in a day and an age where meditation is most often associated with Eastern religions, right? Or it's associated with um, New Age spirituality or yoga or some sort of sitting in some weird position doing some crazy move, right? Meditation is associated with that sort of stuff. And there's some pictures there that just sort of resemble what most people think about when we think about meditation. And so people want to know, I find most of the time, want to know, is meditation even biblical? Are, are we even supposed to be meditating, if that's what meditation is? And if we are meant to be meditating, and it is biblical, how is it different to other forms of meditation that are out there? So I just wanted to start off with that as a way to launch us into the meaty part of this message. Right, so the first question, is meditation even biblical? Absolutely, right? There's even commands in Scripture for us to meditate. Joshua, for example, the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then the psalmist in Psalm 1 says to us that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Then in the New Testament, we have Paul. He writes this. He goes to the Philippian church. He says to these guys, hey, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, he doesn't use the word meditate, but essentially that's what meditation is. It's to think think on this thing. It's to think about this thing. It's to allow this to dwell on in your heart and in your mind. But he says, think about these things. He's saying, hey, meditate on these things. These are just some of the scriptures that are evidence for the fact that we are called to meditate and it is beneficial and a blessing. Right? But Christian meditation is not to be confused 
with other forms of meditation out there. And I think this is where people get a little bit confused sometimes. They don't understand what the difference is. But fundamentally, Christian meditation and the other forms of meditation out there are completely different. At their core, what they're trying to achieve and their purposes are different. The goal is different. In Eastern forms of meditation, there's this attempt to empty one's mind. It's to be detached from reality, to be detached from this world, and to think about absolutely nothing. In Buddhism, the goal is to completely rid yourself of all desire, right? To rid yourself of all desire. There's this idea that when you meditate and, and you chant these, these specific words or mantras, you, you focus on one thing and you empty the mind. In New Age and mysticism, there's emphasis placed on losing your personhood and your individuality so that you can be merged together with um, nature and the cosmos, the cosmic mind. There's this idea where you, where you lose yourself and you become just part of the cosmic surroundings. Right? There's this idea that you need to merge with that. The primary goal, therefore, becomes detachment. It's about losing myself, becoming detached, but escapism from this world. And the type of meditation also encourages people, and there's this belief that um, you can control your life through visualization, through positive thinking. It's that whole, just think it and you can be it. You don't have it, you haven't achieved it because you're not a positive thinker. Just visualize yourself doing this. Meditate on that, and you'll get it done. You're the master of your own destiny, basically. But biblical meditation is not about emptying one's mind or thinking about something weird and mysterious. Biblical meditation is primarily and only about filling our minds with the Word of God. Instead of emptying our mind, biblical meditation is about pouring in God's truth. For a Christian to meditate means to deliberately and consciously reflect on, mull over, ponder on, and think about biblical truth. It's a focused effort to dwell on and think deeply about Scripture. It's also a focused, deliberate effort to think about the things that Scripture conjures up and leads us to think about, like the glory of God, the wonder of God, His enormity, His majesty, His love, His goodness, His faithfulness, the concepts of God and who He is, the truths that Scripture brings about and teaches us, those things Christians meditate on, we fill our minds with that and we dwell on that. We allow that to saturate our thoughts. Christian meditation fills the mind with God's truth. And when we do that, our hearts get strengthened with confidence and faith. At the same time, it reminds us, unlike other forms of meditation, that God is the one who's sovereign. He's the one in control. He's the one who's the master of our destinies. We fill our minds and our thoughts with him. Another problem, though, that I find Christians have when it comes to this idea of meditation is they think that they can't meditate, right? As if meditation is reserved for the spiritually elite or those who have a degree in theology. But it's like it's beyond me to meditate. I can't twist myself into a pretzel and think about God's Word at the same time, right? God's Word is not, meditation on God's Word is not primarily about the posture of your body and your physical form. It's about the posture of your heart before the Word of God. That's what Christian meditation is primarily about. Right? And it's not for the spiritual elite, because every single one of us has been created to meditate and to ponder on stuff. 
right? Every single one of us. We've all been created to contemplate or to dwell on something, right? God's given us that ability. We've all got the ability to think deeply about something or to consider something or to put it in a negative form. Has anybody ever worried about something? Stick up your hand, right? Have you ever gone to bed and you just can't get this thing out of your mind? You just think about this thing and then you think about it to no end. What happens if this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens? You already have the ability to meditate. That's meditating. The difference with Christian meditation is you're taking that natural ability to worry and you're channeling it and you're making it about God's word. You're taking that ability to think obsessively about something and play it out to all ends, but you're focusing primarily on God's word. The object and the subject of your thinking is the word of God. That's that's what, it's, that's what it's about. This leads us where I want to really spend some time tonight into the meat of this message. Why is it necessary for us to, to meditate? So we know what Christian meditation is about. Hopefully you understand that you are able to meditate, but the big question is why? What is, what is the relevance? Why is it important? Why is it discipline? Why is it discipline? Is it something that I need to put in place in my life as a pattern? And the first reason is this. Because of what the Bible is. Right? Because of what the Bible is. It is the inspired word of God. It is revelation from God himself. God has spoken to us through his word and still speaks to us through his word. God's word says that his word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Right? He's revealed himself to us through this book. Not only has he revealed himself, but he's revealed what he likes, what he doesn't like, what blesses him, what doesn't bless him, and he's revealed to us who we are. He's revealed truth to us about who we are and how we are built and made and how we are meant to respond to him. How we're about to go, how we're supposed to go about living life in a way that honors him and blesses him and brings glory to his name. So we make a huge mistake, right? We make a huge mistake and do ourselves an incredible injustice when we just read flippantly and haphazardly through the word of God without allowing ourselves time to think about it and take it in and process it and mull over it. Allowing God to transform us through his word. In a sense, being saturated with the word. It's like... Nowadays, we have to take like two and a half second showers, right? But there was once a day when you could just enjoy a nice long shower or a bath. No one, no one runs, especially my wife, right? A nice deep bath on a Saturday evening and just jumps in and then jumps out again, right? Like, sure, lucky I got that done. But especially when it's winter, you just, you sit there and if you're a parent, you lock the door, right? And you just sit in the hot bath. You allow it to warm you up. You enjoy it. Sometimes bubble bath, sometimes petals and candles and some, some music. You just really enjoy being by yourself in the bath and lying in the water to warm you up. It's the same with the Word of God. We, we sometimes just jump in and jump out. Right? As if we just tuck, we like, we tick the box. Bathing like that is not about getting clean, right? If that was the primary purpose, you just get in. It's about enjoying it. God's word, reading God's, it's not just about reading it and getting it done. It's about soaking it up. We lose so much when we simply just read over it. 
I really am convinced of this, and I'm sure of this, that there are many of us in this room tonight who regularly read God's Word daily, and we are diligent in reading sometimes from cover to cover the Word of God throughout a year. I know people who like brag that they're able to do it twice, six months from cover to cover, then they do it again, backwards, right? There are also people, I'm sure, who read it maybe a few times a week, maybe once a week, and there's no real structure. It's just that shotgun approach, right? Just today, open it up here. I don't really have a pattern, and I'm not saying that that's incredibly wrong. I'm just, I'm just that's the way that you read it. The, the point is there are people getting into the Word of God, but I wonder how much of that reading, and I'm not saying it's like this. I'm just, I'm, I wonder, because it's happened in my own life, how much of that reading is like this. It's like spiritual fast food five, ten minutes max, in between waking up, getting dressed, and going to school or going to work, or just before you get to bed at night. You know, just read it, and you just read it quickly, just so you can tick a box and get it done, so you don't feel that guilt and that shame. You just read it. God really challenged me with this. He's like, Roland, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that familiarity with my word, and with the word, and your regular reading of the word, substitutes and takes the place of intimacy with the word and intimacy with me right you can know so much like the like like the pharisees did you, you can search the scriptures you can know them back to front you can read them but still lack intimacy with the word and lack intimacy with god because you don't spend time allowing it to enrich you and to soak into you and to allow god to well it up within you god's word is not mcdonald's guys in the spiritual realm it's not fast food it's not just i'm going to take a bite of it every now and then in between my daily schedule and in between gaps in my calendar sure you might only have five minutes in a day sometimes to read and i'm not saying don't do that but when the atmosphere of your reading god's word is one of flippancy and just a super fast pace i think we miss out in fact, I know we miss out on a whole bunch because we've just made it about reading and getting it done. There's very little time to enjoy the discipline of meditation. And God's word is far deeper and far richer than just a five-minute quick read. Right? That's what Paul means when he writes to the guys in the Colossian church. In Colossians 3.16, he says this, Let the word of God, let it dwell in you richly. Meditating on Scripture is feeding our minds with the Word of God. It's digesting them slowly. Right? Some of us are suffering from biblical indigestion. Right? Because it's just too fast, too much. The art of meditating is about allowing the Scripture to digest slowly. It's about savoring the texture. Right? It's about enjoying the juices of this thing and cherishing the flavor appreciating the complexity of this exquisite meal right that's what it's about you don't go out to a fancy restaurant and just gulp down this meal you paid hundreds of rands for you savor it you enjoy it right it's the same with god's word and meditation as i'm as i'm speaking and and as i was preparing some of you may be thinking the same thing i was thinking what then is the difference, right, between studying God's Word, the study of God's Word, and the meditating on God's Word? And Shelley dealt with study uh, a couple of weeks back, but I just, want to, I just want to paint for you the picture of the difference, right? Because studying and meditating on God's Word are different, and it's a good question to ask. Right? But one thing we need to realize is that a lot of the disciplines are intertwined and interlinked. 
and are intricately connected, but you can't really separate them. Sometimes it's not possible to do the one without doing the other, and very often the one helps you to do the other one well. Right? In this case, with study and meditation, in the same way that it's dangerous to meditate, to clear your mind and to empty your mind because it leaves you open to spiritual attack and demonic attack, so it's also dangerous to meditate on incorrect information drawn from a misunderstanding of the Word of God. Right? It can also be dangerous, very awkward, and lead to some unhappy results. I'm going to give you an example of that in my life. <coughs> a friend of mine, I won't mention names because you won't know them, but they might watch this and that'll be embarrassing, right? Told me the one day while we were in an office together, he was like, Rolls, I read this cool scripture. Do you know that we are like flames of fire? God makes us winds and we're like flames of fire. We're his servants. And I was like, that's awesome. So cool. It's like, that is great. He's like, yeah, it says it in Hebrews, right? I was like, awesome. So I went to him and I pondered on this for a long time, thinking about what it was like to be flames of fire and pictures of me, you know, wreathed in flame for the glory of God and being like winds blowing here and there, right? It was awesome. It just, it was such a cool picture. It was good imagery. I was like, yes, God, I received this, right? And then I went and I shared it with my youth pastor at the time. I was like, Matt, do you know that we are like flames of fire? We like winds and we just go burning things for God. And he was like, no, we're not. No, we're not. You got that wrong. And what was awkward was that there were other people in the room at the same time. And I was like, but so-and-so said, he was like, oh, where did he get that scripture from? He's like, oh, no, from Hebrews. And then I was like, no ways. He's like, yeah, come with me to the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to show you Hebrews and you're going to see what I got it, where I got it wrong, all right? So this is what it says in Hebrews. This is the scripture he's talking about. It starts off in verse 7. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and the scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Do you see where I got it wrong? Where he got it wrong? This, the context was the, the author of Hebrews trying to establish the superiority of Christ. And he's comparing them to the angels. And he's saying, even the angels, God says this about them, that they're flames of fire, they're his servants, they're like winds. But about Jesus, he says this, angels are the ones who are flames of fire and servants of God who go around like wind here and there. Not, not me. A study of God's word would have avoided that awkward situation, right? A study of God's word and an understanding of the concepts and the context, what the author was saying, who he was writing about, why he was saying that, that's the study of God's word. It's the information, right? And when you have the wrong information, you meditate on the wrong stuff, which leads to you being embarrassed, Right, and some weird dodgy theology. Okay? That's how meditation and study are so interlinked. That's why they are necessary. Right, that was a really embarrassing moment in my life, right? I'm sure you can forgive me. So Bible study and meditation complement each other. They seem similar, but they're quite different. Right? You could think about biblical meditation like like slowly enjoying a piece of chocolate, right? You just, you just let it melt in your mouth. My favorite are those lint balls, right? You dip them in chocolate on a hot, on like a big tablespoon. You, I mean, you dip them in coffee and you pop them in your mouth, right? So you just savor that. 
Study would be knowing who made the chocolates, what the ingredients are, where they came from, what they're called, all that sort of stuff, how they were made. Study would lead to that. Meditation leads to you really experiencing the flavors, tasting it, digesting it, allowing it to give you energy. It's the same with meditating on God's word, right? So that's, that's the difference between, between study and meditation. And often people end up by default meditating on the word of God when they, when they start to study. Right, they end up thinking about stuff. That, you think it's study that's got you to a place where you've really enjoyed it. Now, study's prepared the way. Meditation has enriched it for you. This leads to the second reason why I think we should be meditating on the Word of God. And it's because of what God's Word is and does for us and because of what we need. Right? It's because of what we need as human beings. There are two sayings that I found to be so true in my life and in the lives of people around me. And those sayings go like this. How you think determines how you live. Right? The second one is this. Where your mind goes, there your heart will go as well. Right? There's a scriptural principle that says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. But where your mind goes often, that's where your heart will go as well. Your heart will be really close behind what you keep thinking about and how you think will determine how you live what you believe about something will cause certain actions to take place in your life will cause you to take certain action the problem is humans by nature are sinful right we are broken we tend to default to destructive and broken thinking which leads to destructive and broken behavior that's the problem that's the issue with mankind without god most times subconsciously, right, we struggle for a sense of significance and self-worth and value and importance and purpose. And often man turns to sexual fantasy. We turn to materialism and power, prestige and honor. We try and get that from men. We, we, we try and fill in a vain attempt right, to fill it the void in our lives, which only God can fill. We try so hard right, to gain relief from this emptiness that we feel, but only God can fill that. Whatever relief we do find in the world is just temporary, right? It might bring relief for some time, but it just disappears eventually. So here's what we need. God's word says we need to have our minds renewed, right? We need to have our minds renewed, and that leads to a renewed way of living, right? That's where meditating on the God of, on the God of words, on the word of God comes in. It renews our mind. But what, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that meditating on Scripture saves you. Right? That's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that positive thinking somehow gets you saved. Right? Or that positive thinking somehow sanctifies you in a way that Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't. No, we're saved by faith. Right? Because of the grace of God, because of the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's how we're saved. But as we meditate, so our minds are transformed right at the same time that god does this work in us as we meditate we grow in godliness and christ likeness as we allow the word of god to enrich us as we allow it to soak into our lives and we apply it the holy spirit works through scripture as we read and as we meditate to affect change in our lives we so desperately need transformed ways of thinking even as christians if you think your mind can't continuously be transformed on one degree of glory to the next we've missed it you've underestimated how glorious jesus is and what it actually looks like to be christ-like in the way that we think that's what paul says to the romans he he's writing to christians here 
He says, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't live the way that they live. Don't agree with the things that they agree with. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, the, by, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect will is. Jesus says in John 17, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You don't get sanctified by the truth of God via osmosis, right? You don't just sleep on your Bible and wake up with a renewed mind. You've got to take it in. You've got to read it, meditate on it, digest it, allow it to soak in and let it transform you. See, meditating on the Word of God changes the way we think. It, it gives God's ideas instead of our ideas. So we can experience God's way instead of our way. There's this principle, right? Rubbish in equals rubbish out. Value in equals value out. We see that principle at work here when we meditate on the Word of God. It's even more significant when we read what Paul said to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It highlights for me a great need for us to be meditating. And the significance of meditating is seen even more when we realize that one of the ways we sow to please the Spirit is by meditating on the, God, on the Word of God and applying it. Right? Not just flippantly reading it or not reading it. We meditate. We transform by the way that we think. And the last point I'm going to touch on when it comes to why we should be meditating is this so that we can personalize and accurately apply the Word of God in our lives. But that's what meditation leads to. It's, it's one of the purposes of meditating. It's no good allowing the Word of God to sit in you and dwell in you richly, and then you do nothing about it. Right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he's speaking about the wise and foolish man. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, hopefully... We want to be like that wise man. But in fact, every Christian should have a desire and an impulse to be that wise man and not just to hear the word of God and to meditate on it, but actually to put it into action and to, excuse me, apply it in their lives. Developing a pattern of meditation will help with just that because through meditation, the word of God right, is often applied by the spirit to the individual meditating. Right, so I know it's happened so many times in my life when I'm meditating on Scripture, or I think I am, and as I'm reading, I'm going, yes, so-and-so really needs to read this Scripture, right? This, they are so, this is exactly what they need, right? And, and then God's got to re, refocus me. And I'm not saying you can't hear for people as you meditate, and God can't drop a Scripture or a thought in your heart for somebody. I'm just saying when we meditate, often what happens is we become focal point and we should be because God wants your his word to transform your life first from the overflow of our lives with God so we're able to minister to other people we become the focal point and what ends up happening and what should end up happening is when you've studied the word of God and you've read it and you've meditated on it the question you should ask is God and now what do you want me to do with this if you've meditated well you can't end you can't not ask that question Right? And often God's call to us is, you need to repent, you need to have greater faith, right? you need to step now in obedience, 
and the wise man will then obey. Right? An example for me was when I was worrying about whether I should go into full-time ministry or not. And, um, and, and the scripture that God gave me while I was reading um, in his word the one morning was from Joshua um, chapter 1 verse 9. Right? And it says, Have I not commanded you to be bold and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Right? And I had the option of working for my dad, um, getting involved with his, with his company. He had a plumbing company. And I was going to go do a trade there, or I could have gone into full-time ministry. And I sat there, and I dwelt on what God said. I dwelt on the context, and what he made sure I didn't do the same mistake that I did with the angel and, and the fire and all of that nonsense. Um, and then, as I was meditating on God, it just hit me with this truth. He was like, I will be with you wherever you go. I'll be with you wherever you go. It's, not an, either, it, it's an either or yeah. It's not a this one or this one. It's either or. Go. Choose. You choose. I really felt the freedom from God to choose. And so I made my decision, and that's why I'm here now. But God just gave me peace, and his call on my life. When I said, God, what do you want me to do with this? It was like, trust me. It was a faith response that God called me to. When we meditate, often that happens. We go, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do? And God will lead you and guide you in the way that he wants you to go. And that comes through meditation, not just a flippant reading of the word and a study of it. Right? I want to sort of bring our message to a close now by just looking at two of the blessings that we haven't really touched on because in and of themselves what I've just spoken about, the reasons for meditating are in and of themselves blessings. But I wanted to highlight two more. Right? The first one is this. Right? And it's more of a blessing for other people in your life as a result of meditating. But Psalm 49 verse 3 says, My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. This is a cause and effect scripture. Right? The psalmist is saying, I'm able to speak wisdom and I'm able to give you understanding because I meditate in the word of God. But I don't know if you've ever been blessed by a brother or sister in the Lord. You just, when you speak to them, what flows out of them is this deep, rich wisdom which comes from relationship with God and understanding of the Word and having spent time in the Word often. But when we meditate, we become that person who honors God by being able to speak understanding into somebody's life and wisdom into their life. This isn't some abstract, weird idea of wisdom or the world's idea of wisdom. This is the godly wisdom of God. It's not our wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It's a huge blessing. The second massive blessing is this, and this, this one I found to be, for me, incredibly special, right? It's meditation becomes that missing link, right? It becomes a missing link in the sense that it bridges the gap between reading God's word and prayer. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. You go to a time when you read and you come away from reading God's word and you feel cold, it's just, I've just read this in it, and it's just text, and I know it should be important, but I've just read it, and then, oh, there's not really anything. Or you go to a time of prayer, and it feels like your, your prayers are hitting a bronze roof, and they're just bouncing back down. And there's no obvious sin in your life. You've said all the sorries, you've repented of all the things you need to repent of, but still, it just feels like your prayers are cold. They're self-centered. They're me-focused. They don't, they're not really, really in line with what the Spirit wants you to be praying. I don't know if you've ever experienced it in your life, right? Meditation is often that thing we're missing. It's that thing in the middle. Right? Meditation is sandwiched by the reading of God's word and then prayer. And so what ends up happening is we go to the reading of God's word and we read and then we warm ourselves, an author that I read said, at the fires of meditation. 
Right? So we read God's word and we meditate on it. We allow it to dwell in us richly and it soaks into us. And all of a sudden, now you've got stuff to pray about. Now you go to prayer and as you're praying, it's flowing out of you because the richness and the depth of God's word, you've thought about it, you've allowed it to well up in you. And so the reading of God's word becomes exciting. Because you get to study it, but you also get to go deep. And then your prayer life becomes exciting because now God's word has informed your prayer. I just, I just found that to be such a blessing when you allow yourself to take time to read and then to meditate and then to pray. And often I find I'm praying with far more power, not because I'm good, but because I've allowed God to work this thing out in me. And often we speak about people carrying something right? and, and something being in them and, and overflowing out of them. I think when we spend time reading God's word without meditating on it, we find often, I find at least, my prayer life is not as strong, we're not as effective, not as deliberate. So just some practical stuff to finish off with tonight. The way we should meditate, right, is to come to God, like I've said before, with reverence, with prayer, and with a desire to read his word and read it repeatedly. Right, read it with reverence. Read God's word. It's one of the, it sounds silly, but it's a practical step, right? Study God's word. Apply that pattern of study to your life and then go and ask this question, right? What does the text mean? We want, or we want interpret, not, was it? Yeah, interpretation. Observation, interpretation, and application. Right? We want to know what the text means. We want to know what it says, and we want to ask this question, how do I apply it to my life? When you put those three things in place in your time with God, you're going to be meditating effectively, right? If all else fails, Right? If all else fails, just ask these six questions when you come to a text. Right? Ask these six questions. Who? Right? What? Why? Where? And when? Take a scripture, start reading it, and ask those questions, and ask them again and again and again. And as you read and as you start to ask those questions, you'll start to meditate on the Word of God. And meditate like dynamically. Put yourself in the person's place, the author's place, or maybe like when Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, you know, put yourself in the rich young ruler's shoes. What would it have been like to have had all that money, to have thought you had got it right? And then Jesus, it says, looks at him lovingly, says, one, one thing you lack, give up all your possessions and come follow me. What would that have felt like? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. What would it have felt like to say that to him? Right? What would people have thought when they had heard Jesus say that to him? You start to ponder like that and think like that and the word becomes rich and dynamic and we start to get more out of it than we would have if we had just fast-fooded it. Right? I really believe that God wants to lead us as his people into a place where we hunger and thirst for the reading of his word more. Where we stop saying, oh, my quiet times, I can't do them, they're boring. Right? I've read that scripture so many times. John 3.16 means, oh, I've explored it as much as I can. There's nothing more I can get out of it. I think we need to repent of that attitude where we think we've plumbed the depths of the richness of God's word and we've treated it flippantly as if it's just another book and there's nothing more that I can get out of it and I get more stuff from other places and it just sits there because it's a good thing to have. I really think God's calling us as people to hunger and to thirst after his word again. And I think one of the things that gets us there is this tool that God has given us of discipline called meditation. Right, so I'm going to pray for us and ask the team to come up and join us. And I just think as we, as we worship God and as we begin to, to worship Him, one of the things that I had on my heart, the sense that on my heart is God wants to call us out tonight as we worship together 
and we need to read Scripture over each other. Right? Not come to the, come to the front, let us, let us listen to it if you really feel like we need to, but, but you can't really go wrong when you read Scripture. You're not going to preach a sermon. You're not going to tell us what you think it is. We're just going to read Scripture. Right? While the team are worshiping, if it's a quiet moment, we're just going to give you the mic and you just read Scripture. Right? They'll continue to sing. I really feel like we need to minister to each other that way and allow the Word of God to wash over us. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate stuff for us. Give us a hunger and a thirst for His Word again. Maybe we just need to come on our knees and repent of the way that we've just treated God's Word. The lack of reverence, the lack of time we've spent, the way we haven't meditated on it, the things we've said about it, the way we've shown contempt towards it. Right? Maybe, maybe we need to do that. Maybe you just need to come and ask God for an infilling and a fresh touch of His Spirit so that when you come to the Word, it becomes alive again. Right. That's really what I feel we need to do. And so I know and I'm trusting that God's going to prompt us that as we worship, people are going to have a scripture to read, to come and read that and to, to, to read that over us, to sing that over us, to pray that over us so we can be saturated in the Word of God. I just want to honor God that way. And that's how I feel like we need to respond tonight. So let me pray and then hand it to you guys. Father, I just want to thank you that your word is rich. It is living and active. It is deep. God, it nourishes the soul. It nourishes our lives, transforms us from the inside out, makes us whole and new. God, thank you that we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God, thank you that we don't have to go anywhere else for revelation. You've given us your word. And Lord, I just want to pray for fresh our breath of the Holy Spirit over us in our hearts and our minds. And that as your people, God, we would dust off the dust from our Bibles. Open it up. Pray and ask you where to start. And just start reading and meditating and contemplating the wonders of God as it's revealed to us in your word. I pray for that in Jesus' name. And as we respond to you in worship, God, may you be blessed and honored and lifted high and exalted, Jesus. Amen.